Holy Spirit, we are going to talk about you. And we're going to talk about your leadings and your promptings. And I ask that you would be present, leading and prompting and giving us understanding into your word. And uh, Lord, we do want to be people who are spirit-led, spirit-filled, producing spiritual fruit for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, the phrase, the Spirit led me. The Spirit led me. It seems that on a spectrum of Christians, there are those who are always saying, God led me, the Spirit led me, God told me. Um, that is very common language. And a caution is that that can be uh, sometimes a, a, a way to manipulate. Well, you made this decision. Why? Well, God told me. Well, how do you argue with that? Okay. Um, in other cases, it can be dangerous because how do you know it wasn't just your emotions as opposed to the Holy Spirit? And then there's the whole, you know, reading signs, owls flying by. Uh, you turn on the radio and the song happens to be... Now, you know what? I, I think God does work through, through providence and so forth. But there's a caution where you're looking for uh, God to reveal mysterious things all the time. What socks do I wear? In fact... Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about my socks this morning. I actually have two different pairs on. They're both kind of blackish, but they're not the same. Um, but God led me, you know. Um, right? So there's that, there's that danger. Now, let's go to the other extreme where there are some Christians who would say any talk of God leading me, of God prompting me, of God speaking, Right? is met immediately with the charge of heresy because the canon is closed. It was closed 2,000 years ago. And uh, unless there is a verse that specifically tells you uh, what to do, should I witness to this person? Let me look through my Bible and find a verse. What's your name, Bob? Don't see your name in here, Bob. So I get, I, you know. Now, of course, I'm... I'm over-characterizing each side, but, but where do you fit on this spectrum? Right? Now, on Wednesday nights, we did a study <clears throat> in Galatians 5 of the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to see that while there can be abuses of the term the Spirit led me, we are to be Spirit-led Christians. Okay? Galatians 5 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, and the assumption is you should be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So um, this isn't telling you how to be led by the Spirit, but these two lists tell you whether you are being led by the Spirit. If you're not being led by the Spirit, you're being led by the flesh, and here's the evidence. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, 
jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if these things uh, characterize your life, don't, don't pretend you're not you're not, not only does this say you're not spirit-led, but you're not inheriting the kingdom of God because this is characteristic of an unsaved person. All right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So let me just highlight um, some phrases here. We're to be led by the Spirit. We are to produce the fruit of the Spirit. We are to live by the Spirit, and we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Right? So being Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, is something we should seek after, something that we should desire, all right? Now, um, let me right from the beginning make a distinction that being led by the Spirit is not the same thing as hearing words from God, okay? That's when I get a bit cautious, all right? Some of you may have a different thought on that, but let me make a distinction between spirit revelation and spirit leading, okay? I'm going to talk about spirit leading. Now, let me give you just some practical steps this morning to talk about how to walk by the Spirit, right? How to walk by the Spirit. And these four things, there's nothing new. There's nothing profound. In fact, you could say same old thing here. But if you apply these things properly, they will contribute to a spirit-led life. All right? So the first thing, the first key to being a spirit-led Christian is <clears throat> read. Read the Bible. Some people have this idea that being led by the Holy Spirit is something that takes place completely apart from studying the Bible. And again, it's usually those who would claim to have a direct line to God who would separate the two. I mean, if you have a direct line, why waste your time doing all the reading? That's hard work. Um, but never does the Word of God separate the Spirit of God from the Word of God. They always work hand in hand. So, in addition to the command to keep in step with the Spirit, there's also the command, for example, in Colossians 3.16, to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that doesn't mean just read it. That means be so absorbed that it's part of your thought, thought process. It's dwelling in you richly. Okay? Romans 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay? The transformation, the metamorphosis of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the, the way you renew your mind is you realize you've been programmed by the world to think one way, but now we're going to reprogram our minds according to God's word. Okay? And um, a lot of people's favorite psalm, Psalm 1. It says, blessed is the man who walks, so here we're to, to, to walk by the Spirit, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. There we have the fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Now, this word meditates. Okay, don't think of Eastern religion where you empty your mind. This is biblical religion where you fill your mind with Scripture, but even more than that, you gnaw on it. And you, you think about how it applies to your life. In fact, in um, I think it's French, I might have the la language wrong, but the, uh, the word meditate uh, is, comes from the, the, the concept of a cow chewing the cud and they have, well, how many stomachs do they have? Any farmers here? Like four stomachs, right? And then they, blah, and they re-chew it. And, blah, and they, you know. Um, so there you go. That's what, that should be you. That's a picture of meditating and gnawing on the word over and over again. Okay? Now, let me give you a, 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 an incentive because you, some of you are going, oh, all right, here's another kick in the pants to read my Bible more, right? Well, Dr. Paul Meyer, this was many years ago, conducted a test amongst Christians. And, you know, there are some of these tests you can take to measure your, uh, your mental health and your emotional health. Well, he tested Christians with some of these tests, and he came up with three categories, right? Category A, those with with superior mental and emotional health. Category B, those with average mental and emotional health. And category C, those with poor mental and emotional health. So there's three categories. Then he was trying to test this hypothesis. The hypothesis was the longer you're a Christian, the, the better your mental and emotional health. And he ran the numbers and concluded there's no correlation whatsoever between how long you are a Christian and you being in category A. Right? I mean, you know some people have been Christians all their lives and they're not altogether there. Right? And then there are others who've, who are pretty young in the Lord, but they're healthy. Right? So length of time being a Christian had nothing to do with it. But he also ran a, a, a survey on these Christians to find out what spiritual practices they engaged in. Do they go to church? Do they witness to people? Do they read their Bible? Are they involved in fellowship? Um, and he found 
a high correlation between one particular practice and those with superior mental and emotional health, and that was regular, daily scripture meditation. Okay? And he concludes that the number one key, Christians, to healthy mental health and uh, emotional health is scripture meditation. Chewing it over and applying it and thinking about the word of God in your life. Uh, one, one more verse here. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and, t- and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now this is really in the context of refuting unbelievers' arguments, but in applying it to yourself, the idea here is you don't just let the world program your brain. You take every thought captive uh, by the Word of God, and you think about it, and you apply it. So let me say this. There, uh, you, you, you cannot be a Spirit-led Christian without being a, a Scripture-saturated Christian. You can't be a spirit-led Christian without being a scripture-saturated Christian. All right? So I think you got that. There's your, your uh, regular weekly reminder, be in the Word. All right? Now, second thing, pray. Now, I don't mean just have a prayer list, pray for Teresa's healing. Yes, that's great. Okay? But I mean pray for God to lead you, for the Holy Spirit to lead you. And here is the Lord's Prayer. You know, it's interesting. I, um, I was raised saying the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How many of you just have it down by memory? Raise your hand if you have it. How many of you say, no, I, I, I wasn't raised with, with the Lord's Prayer? It, you're not going to be shamed. I mean, all right, Scott, way to go. Way to take a stand for not knowing your prayers. Okay. <laughs> I apologize. Um, <laughs> but, so, you know, some of us, we, we were taught this in church. We said it as, as a, uh, a group together, right? Um, but the problem is when you do that too much, it can just be, well, say your prayers. Our Father, Lord, in heaven, help be in the name of the Amen. And it, you're not thinking it through. I would encourage you, to, let's say you, you're having a prayer time. You have not, you don't, you're, you got nothing. Think through each phrase of the Lord's Prayer and apply it to your life. Now, look at, look at this. And lead us not into temptation. There you're praying for God's leading. Leading away from sin and into righteousness. But deliver us from evil. So all I'm trying to point out here is you are praying for God to be involved in your real life, in subjective situations to lead and to guide. Let me give you another example. Um, In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a captive in Persia. And he is the cupbearer to the king of Persia, who's the most powerful man in the world. 
And here's a little interaction that takes place. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's, my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Jerusalem is in tatters. That's why I'm sad. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? What do you, what do you want, Nehemiah? And before he answers, it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, it doesn't say he went into a prayer room and kneeled on his knees and took an hour and prayed. He prayed to God right there while having a conversation. Do, do you do this throughout the day as you're talking to people? Are you, are you having, if you're talking between you and the other person, is God involved in, Lord, lead me, show me what to say. May I glorify you? How do I answer that question? That's what Nehemiah is doing. And he says, here's what I'm asking. Would you allow me to go back and rebuild Jerusalem? Yes. Right? But there's, there's formal prayer, our Father. There's your prayer time. But then there's just your daily walking in fellowship with God, praying to be led. Okay? Let me, let me give you an example, and I, I don't do this to, uh, to call attention to something I've done. I just, it's a very personal thing that happened, and I think using it as an illustration and picking it apart might be helpful. But I get like all my sermon illustrations when I'm out running. It's weird. Birds fly into me and all kinds of weird things. Um, but the other day, I was doing my jog, my trudge through Batavia, and um, this was back uh, like a week ago when it was still freezing. And I run down to the river and I cross three bridges. All the ducks fly, you know, here he comes. And then I, I run along the west uh, bike trail along the river. And I go under the Wilson Street Bridge. And um, this was at night. And as I'm running under the bridge, something moved. There was a homeless man. Uh, and he had a dirty sleeping bag. And he was asleep. And it scared me. And then I thought, I'm going to go tell the police. We don't need this guy here. Yeah, that was my first, my first thought. And then that went away. Okay. Next day, I'm running during the day. So now I can see him up ahead. And I thought, Lord, lead me. What, do you, what should I do? He filled me with compassion for this guy. Okay? And then I thought, well, how could I be compassionate? Well, he's sitting there freezing. McDonald's is up there. I'll get him a cup of coffee. And, and that all took place, like, in seconds. And I finished my run. I came back. I went to McDonald's. I bought the coffee and a, a McChicken. I threw in a McChicken. 
And I didn't have any money. <laughs> so now I'm like stealing from McDonald's. But the guy said, take it. And I went down and I gave him the coffee and the McChicken and he was overwhelmed. Thank you so much. And he's drinking the coffee. And we talked, right? Now, I, did you lead him to the Lord and baptize him in the river? No, didn't. Didn't. <laughs> Poor guy dies. Of, he comes, comes out freezing and dies. No. Um, now, in retelling that story, I could sum it up this way. I could say God told me to buy this homeless man a coffee and a McChicken. And that wouldn't be wrong. But it, in picking it apart, that's not really what happened. Technically, I believe the Holy Spirit gave me compassion. And the reason it's from the Holy Spirit is because my natural response was not compassion. I prayed and he gave me compassion. And then going to McDonald's and buying a coffee and a McChicken made sense. But technically God didn't tell me to get coffee and a McChicken. It would not have been wrong to get tea and a Big Mac. Right? So here, here's what I want to say. Sometimes I think we need to be more careful with our words. Saying God told me when in reality it, maybe it was a Holy Spirit leading but there were no words involved. And here's the other point. Some of you need to lighten up on others who do use language like God told me. What they mean in their reconstruction is God was involved in that transaction. All right? So, two things that you can struggle with. Do I need to maybe change my vocabulary and do I need to maybe lighten up on people? Okay? Now, here's the, the difference between direct revelation and a leading. Direct revelation, if it's direct revelation, you don't question it, you obey it. If it's a leading, there's a possibility that you're getting it wrong. Could be just your emotions. Could be heartburn. Right? Could be uh, feel compassion, but the choice of what you do, maybe the most compassionate thing is to go to the police and have him go to a shelter. Okay? Um, but my point is that we can get it wrong. The Holy Spirit can really be involved in leading and prompting, but we can still mess it up. So I heard a, a sermon once where the pastor was talking about this very thing, and the, this pastor went to a store and bought some grapes. And as he was walking out of the store, he says, I felt like the Holy Spirit was having me uh, offer these grapes to this guy who was standing near the exit. So he went over and offered the grapes to the man, and the man said, get out of my face. He was wrong. Okay? I have another running story. So last summer, I, okay, as I get older and my knees get bad, I bought a cheap 
pair of Nike shoes at Kohl's. Love Kohl's, love Nike, blah, 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 blah. blah. Don't buy cheap shoes. It, it just, I wore them and I ran, and, and I got to the point where my knees were so bad, I could hardly walk down the stairs in the morning. And I thought, oh, I need knee replacements. So then, uh, on the advice of some people, I went to Dick Pond, where they have you, you run on the treadmill, and I got a pair of Brooks running shoes. And slowly, over time, my knees healed. They're like miracle shoes. Brooks, get Brooks, right? So the other day, I'm jogging down uh, the, the river path, and coming at me is this big guy and he's kind of hobbling and as we pass I thought oh man that guy he needs Brooks (laughs) and if I get the opportunity if I if I see him again I'm gonna I'm gonna give him I'm gonna give him some advice so I crossed over at Fabian's across the bridges and I'm going back to and who's coming my way Big hobbling man. And I'm like, this is my opportunity. I stop him and I go, I have just the thing for those painful knees of yours. And he goes, there's nothing wrong with my knees. Leave me alone. And he ran off. So my point is, I think the Holy Spirit does prompt us, lead us, but it's not an infallible thing. Okay? But let's keep going. The, the, the fourth thing is this, submit. All right. Now, here's the crucial element of keeping in step with the Spirit. It's one thing to feel like the Spirit is prompting you and even pray for the Spirit to lead you. It's another thing to actually submit to that leading. Remember when we studied Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane? The work of prayer at Gethsemane was not Jesus learning God's will. He he knew God's will was to go to the cross. The work was submitting to God's will. So there's a there's a uh, there's a, a, a step of submission that needs to take place after the leading. Now, what motivated Jesus to get up and go to the cross? Well, we're told. We're told his motivation in Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, 2. We're to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the Joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew that the joy on the other side of submitting to the cross was far greater than the joy of bailing out. Okay? In other words, there is a joy that comes 
from submitting to God's promptings. Okay? Let me give a, sometimes when we use the cross as the example, we can kind of go, well, <laughs> that's just so challenging. Let me give you a, a, a lesser example. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he actually goes to uh, a home, and it's called the home of Simon the leper in one gospel, and it's called the, the home of Mary and Martha in another gospel. How do you reconcile those two? It could have been their brother. Could have, could have been, uh, could have been they're renting it from Simon the leper. So it's their home and it's his home. You know what? But uh, Mark 14, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman, and we know from John's gospel that this is Mary, came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? And we, again, learn from John's gospel that the prime thinker of that thought was who? Judas, right? But this tells us more than Judas were, were thinking of this. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. So a denarii is a day's wages. 300 denarii would be like a, a year's wages with Sabbaths off, right? So what do you make in a year? Let's say you make $100,000 in a year. And in one act of devotion, you give a $100,000 gift to the church or to, uh, in an act of worship. What, you know, this is what she did. And she's criticized for it. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. What would produce in you more joy? Keeping $100,000 or to hear Jesus say what you've done is a beautiful thing. I think Mary would say, I chose the right thing. The joy of submitting to that leading is worth it. Now, once you start experiencing that joy of obedience, in little acts of obedience, it drives you on to want to do more and more and more, right? For the joy that is set before you. So we've talked about reading your Bible. We've talked about praying for God's leading. We're, we're talking about submitting to that leading. Now there's one last thing. Do. Okay? After Jesus submitted his will... In the garden, he still needed to get up and go to the cross, right? Actually, that's what keeping step with the Spirit means. Look at this, this is a pretty cool little footprint. There's a heart and a flame of fire. Stole that right off the internet. <laughs> um, 
keep in step with the Spirit means as God is prompting you and guiding, you actually do it. Now, there's a huge difference between the Nike slogan, just do it, and Holy Spirit-led obedience. The one you do in your own power, just do it. The latter you do in His power. But that doesn't mean there's no effort involved. Right? In fact, some of you might want to know, well, how much is God's effort and how much is my effort? I can't give you an answer. But I do know that God's involvement does not negate it being hard. But let me show you a handful of verses where we see both God's power and our effort combined. For example, Philippians 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I always like to point out, it does not say work for your own salvation. You already have salvation if you're trusting in Christ. But now, work it out. I, I like to use the, the Gatorade analogy. You've, you've got the Gatorade in you. Now, work it out. Sweat it out. And you, you do it with fear and trembling. There's lots of effort here. For, because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, wait a minute. Who is it doing it? Is it God or is it me? Yes. Is he giving me the power or am I exercising my power? Yes. All right, let me give you another one. 1 Corinthians 15.10, But the grace of God... By the grace, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Who's he talking about? This is Paul comparing himself to the other apostles. I worked harder than the rest of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I worked really hard in the power of of the Holy Spirit. Right? And then there's Colossians 1.29. For this I toil, struggling, Greek word, agonizo, agonizing, with all his energy that powerfully works within me. There's agony and there's his energy working within me. All right? So let me, let me close this, leaving you with this thought. Jesus said things like, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. <laughs> in other words, in your fight against sin, put forth maximum effort. I mean, this, so this sounds painful. It's hyperbole, people. If, if you took this literally, we'd all be walking around blind. But it is saying something. It is saying put forth Tremendous effort to fight sin. But the same Jesus and the same gospel says this. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, if, if we were in connection time, I would ask you this. How can rip out your eye and this is easy fit together? How do you synthesize these two things? And the answer is love. When you love someone, the sacrifice seems easy. Right? One, one of my favorite songs, that I run to under bridges. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from you. So here, here whether you like the Marvin Gaye version or the Diana Ross. Yeah, Diana Ross, thank you. <laughs> Casey's top 40, moving up on the charts today to number three. Um, here, the song is saying, I love you so much, I would climb the highest mountain and swim the widest river and go to the deepest valley. And we all buy this, right? Because we know that love is a strong motivation. And I think what Jesus is saying, I love you, and I'll produce in you a love for me, and you'll do radical things, and it'll seem easy. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, even though uh, sometimes it's, it's hard to figure out all the details and um, what it means to do something like keep in step with the Spirit. But Lord, we want to obey you. And I pray, Lord, that as we fill our minds with your word and we are in a a mode of prayer with you and you prompt and lead that we would submit and do. Lord, help us to become skilled at discerning the difference between your voice and our own emotion. And may we produce fruit for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.